Welcome to the Daily Devotions Podcast from Confident Faith. I am Corey J. Mahler, a contributor here at Confident Faith, and I will be your reader today, this second Thursday after Epiphany, the 18th of January, in the year of our Lord, 2024, in the time of Christmas. Today we celebrate the festival of the Confession of St. Peter. In response to Christ's challenge, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This, Peter's confession, is the rock upon which the church is built. As Christ makes clear, it is not flesh and blood that reveals this truth, but the Father who is in heaven. Here in Matthew and elsewhere in the New Testament, Christ makes clear that he gives the keys to the entire church, not to Peter alone, and with the keys the power to bind and to loose. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As the small cult articles state, the keys are an office and power given by Christ to the church for binding and loosing sin. This applies not only to gross and well-known sins, but also the subtle hidden sins that are known only to God. As it is written, who can discern his errors? Psalm 19.12 It is truly this confession of Peter that Christ is the Son of the living God, upon which the church is founded, with Christ as cornerstone. Our readings for today are Psalm 44, Psalm 124, Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 41, verses 1 through 12, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39, and paragraphs 85 through 98 of part 3 of the Large Catechism. We will close as always, with the Lord's Prayer. Today's first reading from the Psalter is the 44th Psalm. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm, and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes, and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us, and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter, and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. 
our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forevermore. Amen. Today's second reading from the Psalter is the 124th Psalm. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive, when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forevermore. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Ezekiel, and we will be reading the 40th chapter, verses 1 through 4, and the 41st chapter, verses 1 through 12. In the twenty-fifth year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after the city was struck down, on that very day the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. In visions of God he brought me to the land of Israel, and set me down on a very high mountain, on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes, and hear with your ears, and set your heart upon all that I shall show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Declare all that you see to the house of Israel. Then he brought me to the nave and measured the jams. On each side six cubits was the breadth of the jams, and the breadth of the entrance was ten cubits, and the side walls of the entrance were five cubits on either side. And he measured the length of the nave, forty cubits, and its breadth, twenty cubits. Then he went into the inner room and measured the jams of the entrance, two cubits, and the entrance, six cubits and the side walls on either side of the entrance, seven cubits. And he measured the length of the room, twenty cubits, and its breadth, twenty cubits, across the nave. And he said to me, This is the most holy place. 
Then he measured the wall of the temple, six cubits thick, and the breadth of the side chambers, four cubits, all around the temple. And the side chambers were in three stories, one over another, thirty in each story. There were offsets all around the wall of the temple to serve as supports for the side chambers, so that they should not be supported by the wall of the temple. And it became broader as it wound upward to the side chambers, because the temple was enclosed upward all around the temple. Thus the temple had a broad area upward, and so one went up from the lowest story to the top story through the middle story. I saw also that the temple had a raised platform all around. The foundations of the side chambers measured a full reed of six long cubits. The thickness of the outer wall of the side chambers was five cubits. The free space between the side chambers of the temple and the other chambers was a breadth of twenty cubits, all around the temple on every side. And the doors of the side chambers opened on the free space, one door toward the north, and another door toward the south, and the breadth of the free space was five cubits all around. The building that was facing the separate yard on the west side was seventy cubits broad, and the wall of the building was five cubits thick all around, and its length ninety cubits. Then he measured the temple, a hundred cubits long, and the yard and the building with its walls, a hundred cubits long, also the breadth of the east front of the temple and the yard, a hundred cubits. Then he measured the length of the building facing the yard that was at the back and its galleries on either side, a hundred cubits. The inside of the nave and the vestibules of the court, the thresholds and the narrow windows, and the galleries all around the three of them, opposite the threshold, were paneled with wood all around, from the floor up to the windows, now the windows were covered, to the space above the door, even to the inner room, and on the outside. And on the walls all around, inside and outside, was a measured pattern. It was carved of cherubim and palm trees, a palm tree between cherub and cherub. Every cherub had two faces, a human face toward the palm tree on the one side, and the face of a young lion toward the palm tree on the other side. They were carved on the whole temple all around, from the floor to above the door. Cherubim and palm tree were carved, similarly the wall of the nave. The doorposts of the nave were squared, and in front of the holy place was something resembling an altar of wood, three cubits high, two cubits long, and two cubits broad. Its corners, its base, and its walls were of wood. He said to me, This is the table that is before the Lord. The nave and the holy place had each a double door. The double doors had two leaves apiece, two swinging leaves for each door. And on the doors of the nave were carved cherubim and palm trees, such as were carved on the walls. And there was a canopy of wood in front of the vestibule outside. And there were narrow windows and palm trees on either side, on the side walls of the vestibule, the side chambers of the temple, and the canopies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from the book of Romans, and we will be reading the 8th chapter, verses 18 through 39. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's reading from the Book of Concord comes from the Large Catechism, and we will be reading Part 3, Paragraphs 85-98. through 98. The Fifth Petition And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. This part now applies to our poor, miserable life. Although we have and believe God's word, do and submit to his will, and are supported by his gifts and blessings, our life is still not sinless. We still stumble daily and transgress, because we live in the world among people. They do us much harm, and give us reasons for impatience, anger, revenge, and such. Besides, we have the devil at our back. He attacks us from every side and fights, as we have heard, against all the previous petitions. So it is not possible to stand firm at all times in such a constant conflict. There is here again great need for us to call upon God and to pray, Dear Father, forgive us our trespasses. It is not as though he did not forgive sin without and even before our prayer. He has given us the gospel, in which is pure forgiveness, before we prayed or ever thought about it. But the purpose of this prayer, 
is that we may recognize and receive such forgiveness. The flesh in which we daily live is of such a nature that it neither trusts nor believes God. It is ever active in evil lusts and devices, so that we sin daily in word and deed, by what we do and fail to do. By this the conscience is thrown into unrest, so that it is afraid of God's wrath and displeasure, so it loses the comfort and confidence derived from the gospel. Therefore, it is always necessary that we run here and receive consolation to comfort the conscience again. But this should serve God's purpose of breaking our pride and keeping us humble. God has reserved this right for himself. If anyone wants to boast of his godliness and despise others, that person is to think about himself and place this prayer before his eyes. He will find that he is no better than others, and that in God's presence all must tuck their tails and be glad that they can gain forgiveness. Let no one think that as long as he lives here, he can reach such a position that he will not need such forgiveness. In short, if God does not forgive without stopping, we are lost. It is therefore the intent of this petition that God would not regard our sins and hold up to us what we daily deserve, but we pray that he would deal graciously with us and forgive, as he has promised, and so grant us a joyful and confident conscience to stand before him in prayer. For where the heart is not in a right relationship with God, or cannot take such confidence, it will not dare to pray any more. Such a confident and joyful heart can spring from nothing else than the certain knowledge of the forgiveness of sin. There is here attached a necessary yet comforting addition, as we forgive. He has promised that we shall be sure that everything is forgiven and pardoned, in the way that we also forgive our neighbor. Just as we daily sin much against God, and yet he forgives everything through grace, so we too must ever forgive our neighbor who does us injury, violence, and wrong, shows malice toward us, and so on. If therefore you do not forgive, then do not think that God forgives you. But if you forgive, you have this comfort and assurance that you are forgiven in heaven. This is not because of your forgiving, for God forgives freely and without condition, out of pure grace, because he has so promised, as the gospel teaches. But God says this in order that he may establish forgiveness as our confirmation and assurance, as a sign alongside of the promise, which agrees with this prayer in Luke 6.37, Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Therefore, Christ also repeats it soon after the Lord's Prayer, and says in Matthew 6.14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, and so on. This sign is therefore attached to this petition. When we pray, we remember the promise and think, Dear Father, for this reason I come and pray for you to forgive me, not so that I can make satisfaction or can merit anything by my works. I pray because you have promised, and attached the seal to this prayer, that I should be as sure about it as though I had absolution pronounced by you yourself. For baptism and the Lord's Prayer, appointed as outward signs, work as seals. In the same way also, this sign can serve to confirm our consciences and cause them to rejoice. It is especially given for this purpose, so that we may use and practice forgiveness every hour, as a thing that we have with us at all times. This concludes our reading from the Book of Concord.
I now invite all of you to join me in reciting the Lord's Prayer, one of the most ancient prayers of the Church. I do encourage you to say it aloud. If you are somewhere, it would be reasonable to do so. But praying it silently is, of course, also fine. The Lord knows what is in your heart. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace and grace to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whatever calling has been given you, or tasks set before you. Until tomorrow, God be with you.